Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. This episode, we are going to be talking about mainstream tree insects. Let that one sink in a bit. That was kind of a dare for my buddy Eric Topping. He and his daughter stumbled upon a tarantula care book. It was basically titled Antilles Pink-Toed Tarantula, A Complete Guide. And they, I'm not kidding, in the description, refer to them as mainstream tree insects. Uh, so much, just reading, the, it, it's rare that you read a book and you get so much, so many nuggets of information, misinformation just in the description of the book. And again, I did a thing a while back where I reviewed some tarantula books and tried to point out, you know, they frustrate me because people buy these thinking they're real. And I tried to f take a fun approach and point out some of the things that were terribly wrong inside the books. Some people got a kick out of it. Some people thought it was very mean-spirited, which wasn't my intent, but I can't help but get snarky when I spend hours of my life every week trying to teach people how to take care of these things correctly. And somebody goes out, puts a book, collects money for total garbage and misinformation. And this one might take the cake. I'm probably going to pick it up because just out of curiosity, it's going to be seven bucks in my life that I've never, you know, that I worked hard for that I'm not going to get back. And I, I really don't want the seven bucks going to this person to encourage them. But I figure that way I can actually re leave a legitimate review and hopefully people will go, oh, that's Tom Moran. Maybe I should stay away from this. But it, just right off the bat, the picture on the cover of the book. Now, it's it's your mainstream tree insect, your Antilles pink-toed tarantula. It's a picture of a P. metallica on the cover. So they didn't even get the right species on the cover. So people, it just blows my mind. And again, I get it. People get these animals. They are excited about them. They feel like they learned a lot about them. And then they immediately want to, it seems like, spread that knowledge. But do it for free. Go on a forum. Go on a message board. If you're going to write a book, you better darn well know what you're talking about. So we may pick that one up. Eric, I told you I'd say it. Uh, we may pick that one up at some point and go through it just for fun. I will try not to make it mean-spirited. I do, reading just the description, I have a funny feeling that the individual that wrote it, that I'm, I'm guessing English isn't their first language, but just some key tip-offs there that maybe this was a translation issue too. Although the information, I mean, if you're going to write something in English, it has to be accurate. So we'll see, maybe something fun in the future. Uh, as uh, you know, I just want to take a moment to go back to last week's podcast where we kind of did the Tarantula 101 test or assessment, whatever you want to call it. And it seems like it was a pretty big hit. I mean, uh, folks have been emailing me. Uh, people seem to get a kick out of it. I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. It's stuff, you know, it's obviously what I do for a living. But I personally think it's fun sometimes to just do those little things that kind of, you know, back in the day, you used to get the magazines, you have the little quizzes in them, you rate yourself. I think it's neat to kind of do them because it allows me to kind of explain some of the reasons why the answer is what I think it is. And it, it gives people just an opportunity to kind of reflect on some of these things that maybe we don't think about very often. Now, I had a few people email and here's the deal. As a teacher, when you make a test, you know what your question means in your mind. You know what you're trying to assess. At least a good teacher should know exactly what type of response you're trying to get out of them. So when you write your question, you know you're thinking along a certain line. Sometimes people will read the question and read more into it than was what was intended, what was there. They see it as a trick question. Or they read too deeply into it. It's our question. I think that happened in some cases, which is fine. Like I told the individuals, I had some people email me like, this was not fair. This is... 
this was a trick question. And it's like, I didn't really mean any of them to be trick questions. And I think the people that came back with some, you know, comments about how they read the question had some legitimate gripes because they, they read the question a certain way. So when they got the answer, like, wait a minute, that's not right. So just know in a classroom situation, obviously that's the point where the kid flags you over and goes, okay, this one here, is this what you're looking for? And you go, no, 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 you're reading too deeply. This is what I'm looking for. So, but overall it looked like people dug it. They liked it. They appreciate where we're going with it. So we'll definitely do more of that in the future and I will make them more difficult. So, and, and again, for folks, I had somebody, I felt terrible. Some woman emailed me and went, I feel like maybe I shouldn't own any now because I didn't do very well on it. No, 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 no. That's not what it's about at all. Uh, Especially this individual had just found the podcast. I don't even think she had found my YouTube channel yet. And she was just getting into the hobby. This is stuff that, you know, a lot of us know because we've been doing it forever or they've been listening to me go on about it forever, but it's not necessarily common knowledge and not something people are going to know immediately jumping into it. So that's obviously it's better that you encounter this stuff through a fun little gimmicky quiz or test on a podcast rather than encountering it yourself when there's an animal's life on the line. So I think and, you know, for those of us who know this stuff, it was fun and kind of allowed us to revisit some of these topics. For those who didn't, it was a fun way to kind of, you know, preview these things that might pop up, these issues we might have. You may go out. I can't tell you how many people come to me and go, hey, I went out and bought this organic bag of substrate. It doesn't smell right. And then come to find out it's one of the ones they added, you know, animal dung to. That's not common knowledge. We hear when you want to buy, you know, dirt for your tarantula, everybody says organic, organic, organic. And that's not always the best substrate to use for your spider. So it's, again, just if you didn't do well on it, don't worry about it. Now you know. If you're like me, you get something wrong, you, you're never going to get it wrong again. Now you're aware of it, job done. I think the the one good thing for quizzes and tests, I mean, at least as far as as a teacher, quizzes and tests are good for me to see where my students are at. They're not a gotcha process for me. It's more like, did I teach this well enough? Did the kids get it? If not, do we need to go back to it? For kids, I always explain to them, when you get something wrong, that's where you focus. That tells you what you need to work on next time. That's kind of a dipstick where you go through and go, all right, I knew all this stuff really well, but I'm obviously not as familiar with my substrates or I'm obviously not familiar with moisture requirements, wherever it may be. It allows you to kind of go back and and take a mental inventory and shore up those weaknesses. So everybody wins in that situation. So hopefully, again, anybody didn't like it, apologize, but I, I did have fun with it. And it seems like a lot of people had fun with this. We'll definitely amp it up a bit. It's always something I want to do. I really want to do something for the website too. I would love to put together. We use Google. I don't know anybody out there that has kids or is probably familiar with Google classrooms and probably loads them. However, I always thought it'd be cool to do some like type of class on that where there's actual stuff that grades it, whatever. We'll see in the future. I get these great ambitions, but unfortunately my time is so limited lately. Who knows if it'll ever get done. So today we are going to be talking about common dangers in the household to your tarantulas, things that people may think of. Some of them may be very obvious, some of them may not be obvious, and all of them called from years of speaking to people who have actually experienced these types of scenarios. I think a lot of us, I mean, they're very easy animals to keep. They are very hardy animals, but there are some things that we don't think about that we may do day to day or ways that we may set them up that may lead to situations where they are imperiled. Every once in a while, I get people that just got tarantulas and they're, you know, a lot of times just to throw it out there, a lot of times it comes down to people who are living with other folks because they know what their tarantula needs. They're familiar with what could 
possibly harm the tarantulas, but they've moved into apartment, they've moved into, you know, they're sharing a house with somebody, they've got a new roommate, and that's when things can get icky. Or there's, you know, bottom line, there's cases where you're just living with yourself, with your own family, and there are hazards in the home that we may not think about all the time that I know I've gone through it. I know I've learned things just from talking to people and troubleshooting because over the years I'll have people that say, Hey, you know what? I just had five tarantulas die mysteriously. Like I don't understand what happened. And then we do a little, we start asking questions. We do a little homework. We do a little investigating, a little detective work. And we find out that there was a major event, something that happened. And when we kind of go, "Uh Oh, this is probably what did it? So again, this isn't uh, just to throw it out there. I, I was gonna lay, do kind of like a top ten list type thing, but it's there. There's none that's really more dangerous than the other. And even sitting down trying to figure out which one is the most dangerous, but th- there really isn't one. So what I did is just kind of went through, put them in what I think is a logical order, things you'd be thinking about, and kind of save some of the ones toward the end that you may not think about. And we'll discuss some of the experiences I've had, you know, either my own experiences or living vicariously through other keepers who have experienced these issues. We'll talk about those along the way. So people are kind of familiar with a, what are the risks and B, what are the things we can do? What are the steps we can take to mitigate those risks? So without further ado, let's get into the things in our home that may hurt our mainstream tree insects. I'm sorry. I can't, I still can't get over that one. So number one, hidden threats to tarantulas in your home. This one's pretty obvious, but sometimes it can pop up in places that we're not really thinking about. Pesticides is huge. And I will tell you the scenarios that we usually, you know, when I talk to keepers that they usually encounter, a lot of times it's people that are renting, they have an apartment or an apartment complex or share a home. I can't tell you how many horror stories I've heard of, well, one, a good landlord should warn you if they're going to do something like, you know, fumigate the house or spray something. Unfortunately, as anybody that's rented knows, there are a lot of jerks out there, landlords that just do whatever they want and they don't warn you, they don't care about laws or rules, and they will just go in and spray. And I've heard many nightmare scenarios with people that have a tarantula collection, and earlier I was alluding to trying to troubleshoot some of these. One of the worst cases I ever heard was the guy had a collection of about 30 tarantulas, came home one day from work, went to go check out his prize collection and noticed several of them were dead. And he was freaking out. And he emailed me and he's like, I don't know what happened. So we start as we were doing the troubleshooting, more and more of them were dropping dead. It was horrific. He ended up, I believe, with like, I want to say 12, 15 of them dead within like a two or three day period that we're going back and forth an email. So He's trying to figure out, he's like, I don't understand. We don't smoke. There's nothing, you know, nobody's used chemicals in here. There's nothing that I can think of that would have caused this. We're looking at his setups. The setups look good. He had hardy tarantulas too. That was the other thing that was a little, you know, alarming is that these weren't ones that, you know, the finicky ones like say an avicular or a carabina species that unfortunately sometimes die and we can't figure out why. Very hardy species. Well, to make a very long story short, he was talking to one of his neighbors and found out that the landlord had gone in and basically bombed the place. Uh, done, I think it was like the flea bomb or something. Billy would know more about this. She hates this stuff. And if I got her on, she would do all the technical terms of what you should do and probably say there's no way they should have ever done that in the first place. But he basically bombed the house and didn't tell anybody. He had asked everybody if they were going to be around at a certain time. When he found out most of the people were going to be gone, I guess he did some bombing or whatever, fumigated the whole place and ended up killing a bunch of this guy's spiders. And this is not the only time I've heard this. I swear over the course of the years, at least a dozen times, somebody has contacted me with dead spiders in a situation where somebody, either a next door neighbor had something treated or the they went and did the whole apartment. Or we get these panic scenarios where people, and this will happen, you'll get the notification. Your landlord will be great about it and be like, hey, 
we're going to do be spraying some pesticide at this such and such a time. And I've had people ask me what should they do, and then I go to my wife, who obviously works in pest control, and go, how long should they keep the animals out? And she'll usually tell me. So if you're, there's ever a situation like that, and I can tell people right now, I've, we've helped people before with this, shoot me an email, ASAP, I'll copy Billy on it, and she'll be able to tell you, you know, she'll ask you, what are they spraying? Because they got to tell you what they're spraying, what they're doing, and she can give you a good idea of how long you need to get your tarantulas out of the area before they should be safe. But obviously, pesticides, big, big no-no as far, I mean, it goes without saying, I think most people are probably going, yeah, of course. The problem is you never know when there's been situations where people have sprayed stuff inside, you know, a relative and sprayed something inside a room and not asked anybody about it, not thought about the fact that there were arachnids in there. Not a good deal. So no, obviously no pesticide exposure. That's something you want to be very, very careful about. If you're going to have your house treated, again, feel free to reach out. Billy's usually really good with that. You know, we had a situation several years back where we started getting ants. And I live in, anybody that keeps tarantulas knows what can happen when ants find the tarantulas and they become a source of food and you start getting them in the room and they can they can easily rip through a collection and Billy wanted to spray some stuff and I was freaking out about it because I didn't want anything sprayed that the way the tarantula room was it was face the front of the house she was going to spray around the outside of it but she assured me they would be fine it wouldn't come in it would just kill the ants and and it worked fine they're all you know we didn't lose any spiders from it so if you're keeping tarantulas, obviously it behooves you to make sure that they are not exposed to pesticides in any shape or form. If you live in an apartment, just try to get that heads up if they plan on spraying anything. Or if you're in your own home and treating, try to find out what they're doing and then contact, you know, feel free to reach out, contact, put something in the top so that we know it's, you know, time sensitive. But feel free to reach out and let us know and we'll try to advise you as best we can. Next one, while working with pesticides, another th- common thing in homes Cleaners, chemicals, bleach, fumes from cleaners. This is a big one. And this is something I almost dealt with very early on because my tarantula room, where it was located in the old house, right off of it was the laundry room. And there's a big sink in there that one of those big industrial sinks that we use for, you know, like filling the mop bucket when we do that kind of stuff or for big cleaning jobs. And we were doing some cleaning around the house and Billy was mixing up bleach and everything. And I didn't even think about it. And the bleach fumes started coming in. That's a big one. And I have heard of situations with people using bleach around an area and then suddenly they have some dead tarantulas. That's a bad one for them. They're supposedly very susceptible to bleach fumes. And again, proof is in the pudding. I've had many people that we've gone through the whole, all right, let's go through the checklist. What could have killed these spiders off and find out somebody was bleaching something close by? This is something to think about for folks that have reptiles. A lot of times you use bleach solutions to clean out reptile cages. At least I used to back in the day. It was the best way to sterilize them. You want to do that outside away from your tarantulas. You don't want to use bleach. And while we're at it, as far as cleaning tarantula enclosures, you don't want to use harsh chemicals, anything that will use a residual. I have, I will admit, used a weak bleach solution before, but I wash the snot out of it. Usually what I end up using is I will use a mixture of white vinegar and water to clean things out. It's a little stinky, but it does a nice job. Vinegar it cleans very well, and you know it's non-toxic, so there's no worries. The only time I've used the bleach and water solution is if I had like a particularly nasty mold or fungus that I was kind of worried about. I just It's more for peace of mind. Or if something, say I have a male or something, die in enclosure, I just feel like I need to disinfect it more. But I haven't done it often, and just know I do really rinse the heck out of it. You don't want to play around with that. So the safest thing is probably to avoid bleach completely. So you don't want to use anything like 
like that. The other thing to think of as far as chemicals, bleach, fumes, and I will share this story of a young lady that contacted me. She was in her, I believe, second year of college. Not that that really has anything to do with this, but I just recall her being in her second year of college because she had gotten a dorm and she shared it with a couple roommates. And she had picked up a vicularia, a pink tail tarantula that was doing great. It was an older specimen. She had put it in. It was kind of like the highlight of her dorm room. She was a spider girl and people would come in and be like, oh, it's awesome. Well, within about, she had had this thing for a while at home. She brought it to her dorm. Within a month or so, the thing was lethargic. It was weak. And next thing you know, it, it was dead. And one of the things we talked about that could have been a cause. Now, this isn't, this hasn't been confirmed. So let's make that very, very clear. But it's a girl's dorm room. Apparently, the bathroom, they kept it very close to the bathroom. There's people spraying hairspray. They're playing, spritzing perfume. They're lighting candles. There are other things going on. <laughs> when talking about it with her, it sounded like it was an environment that probably the air quality in that place from just the perfumes, the hairsprays, the other things that were going on could have been an issue for this tarantula. I mean, we're talking about a vicularia species. That's one of those ones that people have a hard time keeping alive as it is. And then you introduce that type of thing. You want to be careful. So if you have tarantulas in your bedroom or near a bathroom or something, you want to make sure it's a place you're not spraying aerosol deodorant. You're not spraying aerosol hairspray. You're not spraying perfumes. That stuff's going to get in there. I mean, just think about it. And I was trying to explain to somebody, it's like, oh, that can harm them. A couple of weeks ago when we were moving, I found some old cologne that I had had and I sprayed it on and I was like taunting the kids with it and they were making fun of my dad cologne or whatever. And I had the shirt on. The shirt's been washed. I can still smell it. So that stuff lingers. So you got to keep that in mind that anything you're spraying, any types of chemicals, you got to be aware of that. So make sure your tarantulas are not in a room where you're going in for breezing. You know, some of the stuff, who knows if it really affects them, but you just got to think they've got those book lungs. They're strong creatures overall, but who knows what happens when they get these fumes, these chemical fumes in those book lungs, what it can do to them. So you want to be very cognizant of where you keep them. If they're in your bedroom, I know some folks keep them in the bedroom. Make sure you're not spraying off all your stuff, your perfumes, your drawers, all that stuff in your bedroom. If you're cleaning, make sure they're in a room with fresh air that they're not going to be exposed to those fumes that can be deadly to them. So pesticides, a no-no, cleaners, a no-no. And while we're on it, a big one that I didn't even think about and we could have had an issue with when back in the day, paints, painting, paint fumes. I've spoken to a few people over the years that lost a bunch of their tarantulas. And when, again, we go through the checklist, you know, what happened? Did anything change? Anybody? They ended up, they were doing painting, house renovations and doing a lot of painting. One case, it was actually, it was the actual room that the tarantulas were in and they were doing some painting to fix it up because they wanted to do these neat colors and they had this whole idea. Another one, it was a room next door and the fumes were coming in, it was during the summer and the paint fumes, the tarantulas were dropping dead. Now, it was one of those deals when we went through everything else, we couldn't think of any. The only thing that had changed, the only thing that kind of coincided with these mysterious deaths was the painting. This actually happened to Billy and I a few years ago where we decided we're going to do some home improvements. We've been in this house for a while. We'd done like nothing to it. It was like, it's kind of like the burbs when the people just move in, take the house over, don't change anything. And we decided we were going to do some painting. So one of the places I was doing a lot of work on was the dining room, which is directly adjacent to my tarantula room. That's the old dining room that if you guys watch the old videos, you can see it change colors and we got some wood paneling up and everything. We did huge renovations on that. And I was working one summer and it was hot. I didn't have the AC on and I'm in there painting away, painting away, painting away. 
And I went in the tarantula room and you kind of get nose blind to this stuff. Sometimes you don't realize how fumey the things are. And we go into, I go into the tarantula room and I'm working in there and I went out in the garage. I came back into the tarantula room. I'm like, oh God, it is fuming here. So we had to open all the windows, get fans, blow the stuff out. I was more careful. I was in a dingus, quite frankly, because I left the door open between the dining room and the tarantula room because I was walking in to use that sink I was talking about earlier. And it fumed the whole, fumed the place up pretty bad. So I was freaking out that I was going to lose stuff. Luckily, I figured it out early enough to air the place out before it became an issue. I didn't end up losing anybody. But that's a, that's something people don't think about. They go in, they've got their tarantulas, they decide they're going to improve their new home. Everything's going to look beautiful. They throw on some paint, it gets stuffy, and next thing you know it, things start mysteriously dying. So something you always want to keep in mind. So basically, anything that causes any types of fumes, you want to be very careful for. But I broke painting off by itself because it's something we all go through at some point. A lot of us do painting around the house when we do home improvements. We don't consider that until it actually happens and then all of a sudden we're losing stuff and now we have a beautiful dining room and a bunch of dead spiders, which I don't know if that's really worth it. This next one can be a common problem for folks that live in older homes that aren't particularly well insulated or that have windows that aren't quite aligning correctly and have little gaps. If you're in one of those homes where when it gets windy and cold outside, you sit in your living room, and even though the heat's at 70, it's struggling to keep up because you can feel that cold draft coming through. This is something you need to worry about. That would be drafty windows. This is a, one of those cases, a lot of folks pick up on this one rather quickly. I will admit that. This is one of those ones where I've, I've received dozens of emails over the years from folks who are like, listen, I live in an old drafty house. I'm really freaking out because it seemed okay in the summertime, but now that winter's come, I can feel the breeze coming in. I'm worried about my tarantulas. Can that be an issue? The answer is yes. Now, some are a little more resilient than others. Obviously, if you have a tarantula, they can burrow or get out of the way. They will burrow, which will keep the draft from directly hitting them. But you got to be careful because there are species out there, and again, we're looking at you, Avicularia, and we're looking at you, Caribbean Versicolor, that do not do well in situations where there's going to be suddenly cold drafts hitting them. And we're not talking about sustained cooler temperatures. There's a difference. If I have a room where it may drop down to 67 degrees, but it's insulated, there's not a draft going through, there's no cold drafts coming through windows, that's a little different than a situation where perhaps the room at one moment is 75 degrees, the heat's kicked on, it gets a little warmer, but then all of a sudden that cold draft is coming in, hitting the spider, that's something you do need to be concerned with. So a couple things to think about, a couple tricks. Number one, you know, the easiest thing to do is if you find there's a particular spot where they're getting hit by a draft, move the spiders. Just get them, put them into another room, put them in another area, maybe a little higher up on a higher up shelf experiment find a different room or a different place on the wall or a different place to set them up where they're not exposed to that draft and while we're talking about drafts it's not always just window drafts i've seen situations where people have shown me pictures of their living room setups they've got the spiders set up beautifully on these nice shelves but right next to them is the front door that leads out to it leads out to the elements that can be an issue as well a spot where the door is constantly getting opened and closed that's going to cause airflow it's going to cause cold breezes to come through periodically and hit your spiders so if they're in a room where there's a lot of traffic not I shouldn't say a lot of traffic, where there is a lot of traffic to the outside of the house, where you're going to possibly be opening a front door in the wintertime. You want to make sure you move them to a spot where that's they're not going to be subjected to those constant wild temperature fluctuations from that door opening. That's a big one. So one thing, easy thing to do, try moving them around. Try putting them in a different room. Try putting them in a different spot at the wall. Maintain, you know, check the temperatures. See where there's usually in every room, there's a spot 
that is a little bit better than the others. Either you're trying to get more heat in the wintertime or it's a little cooler in the summertime. Find that spot. Feel free to move them around. Another trick that works really well, and we use these not in the tarantula room. Actually, yeah, I did have one in the tarantula room because we had a window there. There is a film you can put. It's like a shrink wrap film that you can put over your windows. I've recommended that before to people. It's kind of a pain in the butt. It can you know make a mess of your windows if you don't peel it off every season. But basically what you do is you tape this film up around your window. You hit it with a hair dryer. It shrinks up nice and tight, and it blocks any drafts from coming in. It really does work wonders. At our old house, we had a living room where the windows were all just slightly askew, which left little drafts. Little They were crappy windows, too. I think the people used really cheap replacement windows when they went to replace the old ones. And that living room, you would sit in there. There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven windows, I think, around our living room. And they always seemed to be on the windy side of the house in the winter. So we'd set the temperature in the living room up to, say, 68, 70 degrees. It would struggle sometimes to keep up if it was super cold outside because the breeze is coming through. So we use this stuff on the windows. No problems whatsoever. I blocked all of those drafts coming in. So that's something else you could do during those cold winter months. Put that stuff on your windows. Keeps those drafts out. Keeps the spiders safe. Now, while we're talking about windows, there's another thing that you have to be concerned with. If anybody has ever been in a car with the windows rolled up in a nice sunny parking lot, obviously that sunlight comes in, hits those windows and bakes that car, the inside of the car. So if it's 90 outside, it could be a what, 130, 140, the temperature could be ridiculously high on the inside. Welp, it can be the same way for a tarantula in a glass terrarium that is exposed to sunlight. And this is something that people have done. And we've all been there. I just went through this myself with the new tarantula room. We have two skylights on one side of the house. And as the sun comes up in the morning, it hits the skylights. And I had a situation where when I set the tarantulas up, they looked fine. I came back up a few hours later and a bunch of them were dead bang in the sunlight. It was not a good day. And the spiders were all out of their dens and burrows and sticking to the glass because it was getting hot. Need to be careful of windows and direct sunlight hitting your tarantulas. Now, to be clear, does that mean they have to be kept in the dark? Nope, that was one of our test questions last time. It does not mean they need to be kept in the dark. A lot of us give our spiders natural day-night cycles. There's nothing wrong with that. We're talking about direct sunlight. So if the light comes in and you just have a bright room and nothing's hitting the actual tanks or the enclosures, you're good. If you have a situation where it creeps in and it's obviously striking a few of those things like a spotlight, that's where you're going to have a situation. That's where you're going to potentially bake one of your spiders and you want to be very, very careful for that. And I actually, the first time I ever encountered this was somebody that sent me pictures of their spiders and they're like, look at how beautiful they are. I have them set in the living room where when the spy, when the sun comes up and hits that big picture window in the front, it kind of illuminates them and they all come out and they're super visible. And I was like, oh my God, the reason they're all coming out and super visible is because they're baking in there. They're trying to escape the heat. There's nowhere they can go. Some of the uh, arboreal species will climb up more. You'll actually see fossorial species because think about it. They have dens in the wild. They use dens to escape heat. They use dens to escape the weather. And if you have a situation where they're in their den and the den's heating up, they don't know what to do. They can't dig any lower because they're in an enclosure, so they come up. So that's not a good situation. So she sent me a photo of all these things with the sun hitting them and all these spiders plastered to the side of the thing. I'm like, listen, you need to move them quick. She ended up, she was aghast and, and I felt terrible. I was like, she's like, I almost killed my animals. She had just set this thing up too. And she was all excited about it. I was like, all you need to do is put put some drapes, at very least, or a shade or a blind or something over that window to make sure the sunlight isn't hitting them directly and they should be fine. You can still keep them in the same spot. Just protect them, just protect them from the beams coming in and roasting them. So that's something you need to think about. And always when you put Put them in a new location. This is what I learned for just moving here. 
you move them into a new room. This is going to be a seasonal thing as well. Sometimes the direction of the sun will change during the course of the year. So for example, when we moved in, it was wintertime. The sun barely hit the way that the angle of the sun came up didn't really hit the skylight. So I had no issues with it. It was as the warmer months came, you know, winter went away. We brought in the, the wonderful spring weather. The sun angle came in a little more drastically over the skylight and suddenly it became an issue. So this could be something that could change over the course of the year. So if you're like me, you set them up over the winter, there's no issue. There's no problem. We got a nice little skylights here. Just add a little, you know, natural sunlight to the room, but no issues. And then spring rolls in and summer rolls in. Suddenly you have an issue. So always make sure you check them at different hours of the day. So if you set them up in the morning and there's no sun coming in, that doesn't mean that at noon the sun isn't beaten down there. Always check the time of day, make sure they're safe, and then be prepared to make some changes when the warmer months come because that sun's angle can change and suddenly you can have, you know, a catastrophe as all your tarantulas bake in their enclosures. All right, so this next one. I've had a lot of experience over the years talking to people that have had situations with them. Unfortunately, as we get into it, we're going to see it. It focuses on one type of animal, but we're going to obviously talking about pets. Other pets can be an issue when you keep tarantulas and not in just the way you would think. So first off, let's talk about the pets that will actually could cause harm to your tarantulas, whether by accident while, you know, just exploring and knocking things off the shelves or on purpose, actively hunting them because they see them. It it basically triggers their prey instinct and they try to get to them and they knock over cages and open cages. This is something that people don't normally think about until it actually happens. And I have people get defensive sometimes because the one animal that I've heard that this has been the biggest issue with is the cat. That everybody loves their cats. Cats are awesome, but cats are also hardcore predators. They don't, unlike dogs, that sometimes lose some of that prey drive. Cats don't ever lose it. And you have situations where cats will see a tarantula in an enclosure and will register it as prey, will recognize it as a moving animal, something they want to get to, and then they go at it. And I've had situations, three different situations over the years, with pets knocking over OBT enclosures. I don't know why the cats have a death wish, one of which the cat was bitten and did survive. I want to put that out there. The other ones where they ended up with a dead OBT and a cat that they're not sure was bitten, but it seemed a little sheepish to go near them afterwards. Unfortunately, cats will see them on a shelf. We've actually, I believe I did a podcast on how to protect your house again, or to protect your collection from cats. They will see them on a shelf. They will actively hunt them and get into them. The other thing with cats is they're obviously quite nimble. They like to explore. I've heard many stories over the years of cats climbing onto shelves. They're just, you know, kind of walking around, seeing what's going on. And as they're walking down the shelf, they're knocking over all the tarantula cages. This is a huge issue that happens more often than it probably should. I had somebody years ago that she took a picture to show me her tarantula collection and and there was a cat sitting right on top of the enclosure. And she's like, yeah, she just loves that spider. And I tried to warn her. I said, listen, it's not, she does not love the spider. She does not want to be friends with the spider. She is not fascinated by the spider because she finds it to be an incredible animal that she wants to study. She wants to hunt the spider. It's, you need to make sure those things are secure. Well, a couple weeks later, the cat did go ahead and knock over two enclosures and kill two spiders. So again, not cat folks. Love my cat. I love cats. I don't have a cat right now. Unfortunately, we have three dogs that would not tolerate a cat, but Billy loves cats. Everybody has had cats before. I've had cats before. We love cats. It's not an anti-cat thing because everybody gets upset about this one, but cats can be an issue. You need to be aware of that. You need to make sure you cat-proof your collection. They're either in a locked room. You can put them on a shelf that has something to hold the enclosures in so the cats can't get them down. I've heard people Velcro 
throwing to them to shelves. I've heard people putting up, you know, guardrail or guards around the shelves to keep the things from being able to come out. It, it's just you need to make sure that the cats can't get to them. The other one, I've heard of only two instances of this, but having kept one before, I could definitely see how it could be an issue. Ferrets are ones they like to explore. Obviously, they're not going to go climbing up like cats are, but there have been situations where ferrets have climbed up and tried to hide behind certain enclosures and knock things over. Dogs, I have... Here's the deal. I've kept dogs with snakes and spiders for years. My dogs have never registered them. They're in the anybody who's watched my old videos knows the dogs are around there. They don't even register them as anything. It's not like the cats that they see the movement and they're like, oh, I'm gonna get that. The dogs just don't seem to care. And now please feel free to chime in in the comments or on the Facebook posts, obviously. And let me know if you've had any issues with your dogs recognizing them. I haven't had dogs recognize them with tarantulas. I actually kept snakes for years. And the dogs would kind of sit there, watch the snakes move, and just walk away. Like, they didn't really care about them at all. There was no barking. There was no, like, posturing. There was no trying to get to them. Like, they wanted to hunt it. And uh, I have pit bulls that, obviously, if you've ever seen a pit bull with a small animal around that they think they can get to, that, that tr prey drive gets triggered and they want it. I've had no problems whatsoever. I've had them sit there, look right up, you know, pop right up on the table, stare in an enclosure where a tarantula is walking around, go right back down to the floor. So I have not seen it be as much of an issue with dogs as long as they're out of the way and the dogs can't knock them over. If you have a situation where something's set up precariously and a dog can get to it, yeah, I'd be careful with that. But I haven't seen it be an issue with dogs in my own personal collection, nor have I heard from anybody that has had, you know, I even just kind of writing down the notes for this episode, one of the things I was kind of thinking about was has any Anybody ever contacted me with an issue with a dog and I have not seen anything that I can think of where somebody had a dog knocking over. The only thing I've had people mention with dogs is they had one escape like an old world and they were freaking out that it was going to bite their dog, but nothing with the dogs actually going at the spider. So please feel free to, I never want to say never. And I, I'm assuming there's probably, I can picture those little terriers just getting into them or something or some smaller dog, like, all right, we're going to go at it, buddy. At least for me, I've always had larger dogs. I think the smallest one we have now is Molly and she's like 55 pounds, 60 pounds. And then most of them are around 80 to 100. So they're bigger dogs. I don't know. The smaller dogs, it might be different. There's obviously a different temperament there. They're almost like a species unto themselves. So we'll see how, you know, what people chime in with. But any animal, any animal whatsoever, I would be careful with, especially if they show interest. If, if they're over there looking at them and staring at them, watching them move, that isn't like them. It's not cute like, you know, an animal watching the TV they could go investigate and that could lead to some problems. So animals, if you have animals and tarantulas, please be careful that the, the animals are kept away from them or that the tarantulas are secured or out of reach so that you don't have a nightmare situation where you come home. I mean, the woman with the cat, that was horrific. Her cat got to the OBT. The OBT was on the floor, dead, punctured abdomen, missing legs. The cat was on the floor, like almost dead. She had to bring it to the vet. The cat did survive, but that's just, you know, you lost a spider and you almost lost a cat. That's not a situation anybody wants to happen. And finally, whenever you do, like you watch these nature documentaries and they talk about these apex predators and you know, how majestic they are and they are the top of the food chain and all the other animals feed them. And then inevitably we get to the point where we talk about what they are afraid of or what preys on them. And guess which animal it is? I'll give you a couple seconds. We all know what we're going with this. It's people. It's other human beings. The biggest threat to your tarantulas in your home can sometimes be other people. And the majority of the things we just covered kind of fall under this. But I do want to address it as a separate type of thing because a you know 
People can unfortunately be directly responsible for the deaths of your pet if they're not informed, if they're inconsiderate, if they're just plain old jerks. I've heard, and I'm going to share some terrible stories that I've heard over the course of the years. People unfortunately can sometimes just not think and do things. So it could be something as much as, you know, we've already talked about fumes and cleaners. Your neighbor went, hey, our dorm is absolutely filthy. I decided to clean it up today. I got some bleach and really cleaned, you know, this stuff. The place looked like it was going to glow under a black light. I cleaned it all up. It's looking good. Not even thinking about the fact that you have a tarantula on your dresser. It could be the situations like we we're talking about the young lady that lived in the dorm with all of her friends. Hey, we're getting ready. I'm spraying the perfume around, making sure I smell extra good, doing my hair up. I got the hairspray going, my spray deodorant. The tarantula is literally two feet away and all these fumes are falling right in on top of it. A situation like that. And it can be in worst case scenarios, the situation where you have a, you know an individual that you know purposely harms the animal. One of the worst stories I ever heard was somebody that was in a dorm and apparently they had a big party and they came back the next day and they found their tarantula smashed in a toilet. Somebody apparently just took their pet out, was probably playing with it, dropped it, didn't know what to do with it, dropped it in the toilet. So they just killed their pet. People suck. We all know. I mean, that's why a lot of us spend the majority of our time with, you know, family members and our animals. But people is a big one. And one, I had this originally as its own category, but I didn't want to break it into its own category because I, I didn't want people thinking that, hey, I can't have tarantulas if I have children. I just received a message from somebody that was had a lot of concerns about getting tarantulas because they have kids. And a lot of times we worry about the fact that, you know, we have these animals. What happens if our kids decide to get curious one day, go into our tarantula room or go into our living room where we keep them, and maybe they have friends over and they decide to show off mom and dad's pets and they open the top and let the things out. Maybe it's just, a, you know, I don't know, a, a bee smithy or a hemorrhoi. Maybe it's your OBT or your piece Letheria regalis that they're playing with. This is where it gets tricky. I think children almost should be a category unto its own, but I haven't heard a lot of issues with kids bothering with them or messing with them. I think the majority of us that really get into tarantulas start educating our kids very early on about them. And I think in many kids, I know with my kids, and I've used this comparison before. We grew up on a farm. We knew there were firearms in the house. We never touched the firearms. We knew those, you know, kids will get into everything. And obviously there are some kids out there. All kids are different. Some you say, don't touch us. Yeah, no problem. Next thing you know what they're touching it. We just knew there was that respect. I think that's what it came down to. We knew what the firearm could do. If you grew up on a farm, you know what that gun can do, whether it be hunting, whether it be putting animals down, you've seen it in action. We didn't play with it. None, there was four of us in the house. Nobody touched dad's weapons. However, some kids aren't like that. With tarantulas, I can say here, the kids are very respectful. When they have friends over, I know I can trust them to go up there and look at them and not touch. I've had the friends go, hey, can we take them out and handle them? They're like, oh, no, no. They'll give the same Thomas Big Spider spiel that I give. No, nope, they're not toys. Don't put your hands on them. He doesn't play with them. There are some that can bite you and they will kill you. They'll put you in the hospital. My kids are, you know, they know well. And I think that's because... The majority of them have, since they've been alive, I've had, actually all of them since they've been alive, we've had tarantulas and they've seen me working with them. They've seen me cleaning them, feeding them, you know, fascinated by them. My youngest is the one that's a little, he's definitely getting over it because the other day he went down to sit down and eat his bowl of cereal and had some molts out that I was measuring and they were sitting right on the table in front of him. And he just kind of looked at me, he's like, really? On the table where earlier he would have freaked out and he just kind of shoved it away. So I think he's getting over it. But he had a little arachnophobia, which leads me to believe that it isn't necessarily something that you learn from your parents. I've heard this, read this big 
article about how they think it's we see our parents react negatively towards spiders and then we adopt that. My mom was terrified of spiders, so then by default, I watched her be terrified of spiders and I developed the fear of spiders. But it seems like I've never had a fear of spiders since my son's been born and he's scared of them too. But anyway, totally different topic. But I think the trick is with kids, you need to educate them early on to respect them. They need to know what they can do. They need to be aware, just like with adults. They need to be aware of what they can do. Yes, this is an animal that can bite you. No, it doesn't want to bite you. It's it's scared of you. But if it gets too scared, it'll lash out. Things like that so that they're aware, so they have that healthy respect for them. Because a lot of it comes down to respect. So again, are there going to be kids out there that obviously that don't heed their parents warning and go into the room anyway, or maybe they have friends come over. That's the word. That's the thing I would worry about most is a kid that's, you know, been raised from day one to respect them, to not play around with them. All of a sudden has some friends over the friends are like, man, this is cool. Can we take them out? They're like, no, come on, man, just take them out for a minute. And then you get one of those situations. That's always something that you should worry about and be, you know, concerned with. But if they're, you know, know your own children. If you have one of those ones, and I work with a lot of kids, obviously I've taught for years. You have ones that you can tell are going to listen to you. You have ones that they have all the respect in the world for you, but they're just curiosity is going to get the better of them. They're going to get into things. Then you maybe need to look at a, a situation where they're in a locked room or you need to kind of second guess whether you're going to keep old worlds if you think your kid's going to go up and play with them. That's something that you got to kind of figure out on your own. But Kids, not something I want to make. It's part of our little human category here, but something you need to worry about. And another thing, part of it is involving them. I want to make that very clear. The ones I, I told the story before, I think, that we used to babysit for kids that came over to the house. And the parents, they were not allowed any fake weapons. They were not, and I'm not judging people if they're like this. I'm just going to explain how this one worked. They were not allowed anything with guns, weapons. The show Gargoyles was out, a Disney show, and I bought them these color forms there's a blast from the past that had gargoyles and the gargoyles had swords. The parent took the thing away from the kids because it had weapons. They weren't allowed to have swords. They weren't allowed to have guns. They weren't allowed to watch anything that had any type of guns, swords, knives, anything like that in it, which is fine. I'm not going to argue the parenting choice. However, these kids, you watch them go outside and play every stick they picked up was a weapon, was a sword, was a gun. They were absolutely obsessed with that kind of stuff because they weren't allowed to have it. So that builds that really intense curiosity for it. And then you get a situation where, you know, as soon as nobody's looking, they're going to go for it. We had, you know, almost a situation where my younger brother had a BB gun in his room and one of them found the BB gun. And it was like, oh my God, this the parent's going to never let these kids come over again and be babysat. So just keep that in mind that if you involve that, if you take the approach, these are spiders, these are bad, stay away from them. Your kids are likely going to to, you know, break the rules and go try to explore more. It's what kids do. They explore things. And if you make something taboo, it's even more interesting. I mean, think of when you were a kid, when your parent told you, you can't buy this album, you're getting that album. Even if it was a crappy album, you were going to buy it and love it. If you can't, you know, I don't want you doing this, you know, going out with your friends and doing this, you're going to go out with your friends and do that because it's just kids. But if you bring them into the hobby and you show them they're there for feeding, they see them, what they can do, they understand them, you have a better chance of them building that that healthy respect for them and not doing something silly. So I guess kids kind of did become its own category. It wasn't supposed to. And I, I know a lot of people are concerned with their kids. 
with getting tarantulas, especially folks that are getting old worlds. And and again, I think it's a valid concern. You have to know your own children. I lucked out with mine that there's never been an issue. I think there's always been that thing in the house where they really respect anything dad does. If I have, you know, we're talking about a grown man that has a Transformers collection, but had to make sure the kids weren't playing with his Transformers. As sad as that sounds, it's like you're a grown man, you have a toy collection. There's going to be a point where your kids come up and like, I want your toys. So they've always been good with respecting, nope, those are dads, these are ours. These are dad spiders. We know what they can do. We stay away from them. So just make sure. I, I think the biggest thing is education. Let them be a part of the hobby with you. Not only will your kids have a better respect for the animals, you won't have to worry about this kind of stuff, but you're basically raising future generation of tarantula keepers, which is fantastic. Now, back to other people. Again, a lot of it is just, it, it comes down to if you're sharing the home with family members, if you're sharing the home in a rental situation where you have roommates, you it doesn't hurt much like with the children to explain to them about these animals, to educate them. They might get sick of listening to you, but they're living with this animal too. So unfortunately, you may do everything right. They may not. And so it's very crucial for people if you're living with other people that they understand, you know, the types of dangers that this animal, they could they could pose to this animal and that they show it the respect it needs. I talked to somebody years ago that was in a situation where he had a roommate and he's like, he got a spider. He he and the roommate went to some festival or something. And they both came home with tarantulas. The roommates died. The other guy loved his and ended up starting a tarantula collection. And it started off fine at first, but then the roommate was doing things around the house that were jeopardizing his collection. He ended up moving. That was It was a big enough deal. He goes, you know what? I've been with this guy for a while. We, we worked out well together, but I loved my animals. He wasn't showing them respect that they needed and deserved. And therefore, something had to change. I moved. So recognize that the same way you'd educate children, make sure you educate your friends, family, roommates, try to make sure that they respect the animals, recognize what can hurt them, try to avoid those situations where somebody comes in and sprays a bunch of hairspray around it or goes in and says, hey, there was a wasp in the room, so I sprayed the wasp thing all over. I might have gotten a little on your tarantula enclosure. I don't even know if that really would kill a tarantula, but I would want any pesticides or chemicals regardless of what type of animal is meant to kill. So again, Ensure that the folks that are sharing space with you are familiar with the animals, are familiar with what can harm them. And if it's a situation where you can't guarantee the tarantula's safety, maybe hold off until you're in a better situation. I'm thinking of cases where people are like, hey, you know, it's usually younger younger kids and stuff, teenagers. They're like, hey, I really want to get a tarantula. I share a room with my brother. He hates spiders. I'm afraid he's going to do something to it. The in that case, you might want to hold off. I mean, you don't want to buy an animal and bring it into your home and have somebody kill it out of spite. That's just not a, a good situation all around. So people definitely pose a threat to one, unfortunately, and it's up to us as responsible tarantula keepers, as responsible animal, you know, people that take care of an animal. I don't want to say owners. I hate using that term, but people that, that keep animals, the onus of making sure that that animal is correctly cared for and safe is always on you. So regardless, I hate to put it this way, but if you bring an animal into a situation where it could be in jeopardy because of the people you live with, even if you're not the one that ends up killing it personally, that's kind of on you. It's, it always comes down to that's your animal, your responsibility to make sure it's a safe environment. So always make sure that if you're, you're bringing up, and I guess the final lesson would be if you're bringing a tarantula into a situation where there are other people you need to make darn sure ahead of time that they are on board with it and that they're going to respect that animal give that animal the respect and that it deserves a lot of times people have excellent situations i have heard you know i keep bringing up the 
the college situation in the dorms, I've also heard great things where people have made like one point they made the the tarantula was like the dorm pet and everybody took great care of it. And it, so it's not always I don't always sound like it's bad, but think about it. Anybody that's spent time in a dorm, you know what can happen. You got to be very careful before you bring something in. It could, you know, an animal in that could be possibly harmed to that situation. So that's what I got for the hidden threats to tarantulas in your home. I think some of these are probably pretty obvious, but hopefully I gave you guys some stuff to think about, even folks that have been around for a little while that you might not have thought of before. If anybody's got ones to add, I was racking my brain over this and I feel like I'm missing something important. But the other one I thought of, but we cover it so much when we talk about just basic husbandry, are air conditioners and heaters as far as drying the air out and drying enclosures out. I thought of putting that one on there because that is something I've had people before. They get a tarantula during the summer. Everything's fine. The winter, they jack the heat up to make sure their tarantulas are safe. And next thing you know what, they're finding a bunch of tarantulas in the death curl because they forget that the heat not only heats the air, it dries the air. So I've watched the, you know, I have one a thermometer hygrometer in the room and I also have a sensor that measures humidity in here just the overall room just so I have a you know just general ballpark figure when things are getting dry in here but I've watched that thing plummet on those cold days so that would be the only other one that maybe we could add to the list but I just felt like it was kind of superfluous considering how many times I discussed that in care videos and care podcasts but Anybody have anything else they want to offer up or any, I'll tell you what is really great. If you've experienced any of this stuff, please chime in. It's one thing for me to go, and I've said this before, and it stinks because I'm trying to find a podcast site that will allow people to comment. We I use Facebook out of necessity because there's not, it's not like YouTube where you can just go on and everybody can comment on it. We can get a nice dialogue going. There's no place for the podcast for people to really comment and, and interact. And that's what I love when people interact and share their stories because suddenly it's not just Tom saying it, it's other people chiming in or other people chiming in with something that I didn't think of because I don't know everything. I can't think of everything all the time. There could be situations or scenarios out there that I'd never even thought of before that somebody goes, Hey, this happened to me and I didn't think about it. So feel free to chime in. I just got contacted by another, it's funny, right before I started doing this podcast, I had an email from somebody that set up a quote unquote website for me for my podcast. And they want me to check it out and tell me if it's a good deal. I think it's just one of those sites that hosts a lot of podcasts and stuff and they're trying to get me on it, which is fine. But like every single one of them, I say the same thing. Do you have a way I can, people can comment? Do you have a way that, you know, a form or something that goes along with it? That's what I'm desperately looking for because then I can, you know, I wouldn't abandon Facebook, but it's just, it, I'm not able to get the dialogue I could there. So maybe I'll throw this one up and do a video version. I haven't done a pod, posted a podcast on my YouTube channel. I, I think I shared, <laughs> speaking of that before we get going, I'm just rambling here, but the I set up a podcast for YouTube for a YouTube page for my podcast and it got some pretty good interest in it and I got away from it for a while I got too busy and I wasn't keeping up with it I can't figure out how to get on it I've locked myself out of my own YouTube account so if anybody has any idea of how to get on I had the website or the email that I thought I signed up with it's not letting me log on to it I can't figure out what I did it's so frustrating and I see people posting on it going hey are you ever going to post again well I plan to I had actually gotten a bunch more stuff ready but I can't find it so maybe we'll just throw this one up on the main YouTube one see what people think just thinking out loud here. So as always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. Guys, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.